In this day and time, I think it's essential for God's people, God's churches in particular, to do a little bit of self-evaluation. Where are we personally at right now uh, in a spiritual sense before the Lord? What's my life like? Uh, how's my connection with the Lord? And then on a more corporate level, the church. Where does the church stand, myself included, uh, with respect to the condition that exists in our midst? And I think uh, the life of Nehemiah and what he encountered in this first chapter will indeed help us to answer some of those questions. Would you stand with me as we have the reading of the text from the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah? Verses 1 to 11. The Bible says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven and I said, I prayed, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servants, Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've granted us to assemble. And we pray all as well, dear God, that uh, the words of this text will permeate our hearts and that from the life of Nehemiah and the burden that he had and the burden which he acted upon is that you will also burden 
Armona Church, and me in particular, that we would understand the need for looking forward to the next year, 2020, as an opportunity to further serve you, but also, Lord, to collectively understand that maybe we have to go before your throne and confess sin and confess the things that have hindered the progress of your kingdom work. We pray, Lord, over the course of the next year that we will be so burdened over the plight of the lost and the plight of those who have no direction and seemingly have no hope is that the burden will be fresh on our hearts day to day and that we would act upon those burdens in order to share the glorious gospel of Christ in hopes that uh, your spirit will accompany our presentation of the gospel and uh, find lodging in the hearts of people who need to know Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin. Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice, we who are saved by your grace, in the fact that we have been redeemed and that we stand as uh, your children and with heaven is our home. But Lord, help us to be further burdened for those whose, he uh, whose heaven uh, is not their home, but those who are condemned even as they speak. May we be so burdened and so moved in our hearts to make that kind of a difference in the lives of people. But Lord, help us also pray to pray for one another that 2020 can be a, a time and a year of great blessing upon each member, each family, and the church family overall in order that Christ would be uplifted and glorified and that his kingdom would be advanced as a result of the ministries of this church. For these things we ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. After the Babylonian exile ended, the people of Israel returned to their land after the edict of Cyrus, king of Persia. The edict occurred in approximately 516 BC and people returned in different uh, ways, if you will. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes I. While in the service of that Persian king, he learned that the exiles who had returned to their homeland and sent word that the city of Jerusalem was in ruins, including the walls surrounding the city and its gates. In 455 BC, the king sent Nehemiah with men and resources to complete the walls of the city. The Lord was with Nehemiah as he fought off the enemies of Israel from Samaria, Ammon, the Arabs, and the Philistines as he and his men completed the wall surrounding the city, get this, in 52 days. Now understand that each of those who were building the wall had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other because even in the midst of responding to the uh, burden that God had placed there, is they went ahead and understood that uh, there would be enemies. So the Lord used the events in Jerusalem to move on the heart of Nehemiah who was burdened for the conditions in that city and had the vision 
to know that the Lord desired that city and the nation itself to thrive. And just as the city of Jerusalem needed a man of spiritual vision to accomplish the rebuilding of the city walls, there needs to be people of vision in our current time in the midst of this culture to allow them to be used by the Lord to make a difference in the culture in which we live. I'm here to tell you this. It'd be real easy to just say, you know what? Things are bad. And uh, I remember I happened to be in service at Fresno one time when Pastor Lewis was preaching, and he made this interesting observation. He says, even if you watch Fox News, he says it would be, and I mean, if you concentrate on what's going on, he said it's still all negative, and that can weigh on you. But at the same time, God's people need to understand that God wants us to have a vision, even in the midst of this culture, because he wants his kingdom to move forward, and he wants his son and the message of the gospel to be conveyed. The mere fact that God's churches are still existent in the world is indicative that the Lord seeks to have his kingdom work advanced forward until Jesus comes. And between now and then, whenever that is, is it's no time to sit down and be slack. That kind of apathy, unfortunately, is an all too present condition. For generations, there has been a distinctive wall of separation between the Lord's churches and the surrounding culture. But that wall seems to have done all but come crashing down due to the apathy of the Lord's people and the lack of distinction between those who have been redeemed and those who are still lost in sin. Despite the condition of the Lord's churches being in a state of spiritual and numerical decline, God can still raise up a people in the midst of his churches who have the vision to make a clear distinction and difference in this world for the glory of the Lord. Initially, people of vision encounter challenges. True then, true now. Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 12th year, 20th year, excuse me, as I was in Shushan the citadel. The life Nehemiah lived as the king's cupbearer was a life of peace, prosperity, and political power and influence. His job was to taste all the king's food before it got to the king to prevent the king from being poisoned. That was a pretty common uh, position. And because the cupbearer was always in the room, in the throne room, if you will, when the other counselors of the court would come, because he was privy to a lot of information, he was given that high position. And of course, if he failed in that position, he would suffer death. Well, he was one of the most trusted men in the kingdom. With the king looking to meet Nehemiah for counsel from various times. So his life 
of great serenity and ease could have allowed him to fall into a state of spiritual complacency. Well, we notice in verses 2 and 3 the calamity in his life. It says that Han Hanani, uh, Han Han Hanani, there we go, that Hanani, one of my brethren, in other words, my brother, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. His peace and serenity were shattered by a visit from his brother Hanani and other men from Judah. They brought news that the people of Israel were being afflicted by their enemies and that the city of Jerusalem was completely devastated. Additionally, the city walls, which served as fortresses to prevent the siege of enemies, were completely destroyed and the gates burned. Now understand in the Middle East during that time is that any of the cities that you would come to, they would have those fortress walls with the citadels there that would not only protect those on the inside, but protect them from those who would inflict danger. There are situations which we experience that bring us to a crossroads. To stand strong in the Lord or succumb to compromise our character or convictions. And I can tell you as the president of the seminary for nearly 19 years is among uh, the students that we've had come through the doors as well as observing other uh, individuals, church members as well as even pastors, is that the cardinal doctrines of the faith for one, some of them are being minimized and not counted as of major concern. And secondly, the idea that a Bible separation, if you will, with regard to moral conduct is such to where it appears that a lot of our people are blending very well into this culture with no distinction. If we have no distinction, we have no message, okay? There needs to be that difference, but I'm not talking isolation because even though we're not of the world, we are to be in the world, but in the world making a difference for the cause of Christ. And that means that uh, our spheres of influence, if you will, where we work, where we go to school, our neighborhoods and so on, those should be vital areas and opportunities for Christ to use us for his work. Our enemy, Satan, is persistently waiting to catch us off guard and tempt us to destroy our testimony for Jesus. There are times when it is a very lonely experience to stand for what's right and for what's God-honoring. But stand, we must. 
According to verse 4, as a result of the news given to him by his brother and the other men from Judah concerning the calamity that existed in Jerusalem, we notice the compassion in Nehemiah's life and heart. Upon receiving the news of the plight of his kindred brethren in Judah, Nehemiah was heartbroken. Instead of resting in the ease of his lofty position in Susa, Nehemiah did not neglect the burden he experienced, but sat down, wept, fasted, and prayed to the Lord for many days. He immediately responded to things that really mattered when he heard the report of what it had been transpiring in Jerusalem. The Lord had a desire for his people to not only be restored to their land, but also have the resources necessary to protect them from foreign intruders. Whenever Nehemiah heard the news of what was occurring in Israel, he focused his heart on the burden he felt thus showing one of the ways the Lord calls people to respond to his will. I know that with uh, individuals who surrender to the ministry, I, I, I can say from my own experience so many years ago, is what was initially being dealt with me from the Lord was the burden. The burden of what needed to be done, the burden of what I was supposed to do, and God used that burden by the work of his Holy Spirit to convince me eventually that I needed to step up and surrender to the will of God in my life. You may not be called to preach necessarily, but every one of us has a place in the kingdom work of God wherein we're to respond to the burden that God places there in order for us to be in exactly the place where he wants us and where he wants to use us. God wanted a man of vision to fulfill his desire in responding to the unique need among his people. When God has called men to realize his vision for his work in the past, there have been varied responses. Isaiah responded immediately and eagerly to God's call. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. What a wonderful response to that call. Another response was altogether different. Jonah chapter 1. And verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, there it is. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, I think if you proceed further into the book of Jonah, which is only four chapters, as you find out uh, exactly what happens to someone who does not respond to the call of the Lord. And after he was upchucked on the shore as a result of being in the belly of the great fish, uh, he had a revival inside the great fish belly and changed his mind. But even with that, his heart was still not completely given over to the Lord. All he saw was the city of Nineveh and all of her, their uh, individuals, and his heart was just uh, totally against them. And so he gave a minimum message, total of eight words. And what do you know? The king and the entire city repented. So sometimes in spite of us, God will use us in a minimal way to accomplish great things. Moses realized the vision that the Lord uh, gave him, but initially Moses took matters into his own hands, as we find in the text of Exodus chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 11 to 14. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, you know, making sure that nobody saw him. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is no. Yeah. If you understand the makeup of Moses' nature, is he had a anger problem. <laughs> and over the course of his ministry that God used him in a mighty way, he had to deal with that. In fact, his anger eventually came when he was told to speak to the rock. And instead, he struck it out of frustration with the people and because of that act of disobedience and the manifestation of his anger that was uncontrolled at that time, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. Whenever God burdens you with ministry needs around you, how will you respond? Will you respond as Isaiah did? Lord, you've called me, you've put this burden out, I, I don't know if I'm the one you have, but here I am. Send me. Or Jonah gets the clear call from God as to what God wants, and he goes exactly the opposite direction. And Moses, though he did respond 
to the call of God eventually, he still took matters into his own hands. And there was the, all of that. He had to leave for 40 years and live in the uh, desert of Midian uh, in order to have that thing uh, finally uh, uh, go get past him. But also, God was using that 40 years time to develop him spiritually, to give him uh, the training that he needed in the desert to eventually be the leader God wanted him to be. Our first response to a call from God is to consider how God wants to use us to see the vision that he has. Secondly, people of vision respond in prayer. Crucial. This is based on the text of verse 5. Visionary prayer first involves praise. Did you notice that? Verse 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Before he ever dealt with the burden on his heart, the supplication he was seeking for, his first order was to praise the Lord and to honor him. He praised God for his superiority, his strength, his sovereignty, his sacredness, and his sincerity. That's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 9. This, of course, is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what Jesus said. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first order in prayer is to give adoration and praise to the Lord. The psalmist also wrote in Psalm 100, verse 4. The scripture says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And so praise is the initial response in prayer. And then it progresses from that place to where the Bible says that visionary prayer involves perseverance. The first part of verse 6 of our text uh, describes this, that Nehemiah prayed day and night until he received an answer. As he continued to be burdened for the serious condition that existed in Jerusalem, his praying wasn't a one-time deal. He persisted in his plea before the Lord. Back when I was a member of the church in Orange, long, long time ago, uh, with Brother McAllister being my pastor, I'm just about to become his. But back then, there was a lady in the church whose husband did not serve with her, was not saved. And every prayer meeting, Wednesday nights, she would ask the church, please pray for Jim, he's lost and would 
do that every single Wednesday night. Another thing about that sister, her name was Sister Beverly, forget the last name now, been so long ago, is whenever her husband asks, well, what do you want for our anniversary? What do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? Her answer was always the same. I would like for you to come to church with me. And he did a few times. And eventually, to make this long story short, her persistence in prayer and, uh, in fact, praise the Lord, Brother Mac never put her down for repeatedly saying the same prayer request. No. It was a very real thing to her. And because of not only that prayer, but also as she lived her life according to 1 Peter chapter 3, before him, before her husband, is that eventually, is after I had already left the church and had gone to Oroville, moved there, that I found out he was saved. And he eventually became a deacon. What's the point? You lay some at the altar, it's, that's great to do that, and not be so consumed with the burden that you can't function. But at the same time, leaving it at the prayer altar does not mean you forget it. It means that you consistently seek God as you trust him to bring it about. And the earnestness of prayer is exactly what God will respond to. So, Jesus urges his people to pray without losing heart. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18 and verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Prayer that is born out of a genuine burden cannot be satisfied until that prayer is answered. Visionary prayer, according to the latter part of verse 6 and verse 7, involves repentance. Okay? As Nehemiah prayed, he began to confess his sins as an individual, as well as the sins of his people as a nation. He even confessed the sins of his fathers. It should be noted that Nehemiah did not confess the sins of the nation and his fathers until he first confessed his own sins. You know, a lot of times... Uh, you know, as a preacher preaches or, you know, somebody teaches a Bible study lesson or something like that, and the Holy Spirit makes an appeal with respect to a need that exists, sometimes those uh, uh, are listening and says, you know what, that reminds me about what's going on in brother so-and-so's life. And so they, they take that shovel and just kind of pass it back. Well, the example that we have here of Nehemiah is his first order with respect to a need of repentance, was to consider his own sins to the Lord. And after that, and only after that, did he pray for the nation and his uh, fathers. The Bible says in Psalm 66, I thought about this passage of scripture uh, last couple of weeks when a certain uh, speaker of the House of Representatives was saying that she prays for our president every day. Notice what it says. 
if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Putting that in the context of what we're talking about this morning, listen folks, it's a wonderful thing to have the avenue of prayer, our ability to communicate with God, praising him and so on, and eventually bringing our supplications to him, our needs. But if we're harboring sin in our heart, the Bible is very explicit in saying that he will not hear us. Visionary prayer involves promises, according to the text of verses 8 to 10. Nehemiah understood God's promises and shared that understanding in his prayer before the Lord. When prayer is based squarely in the word of God and founded upon the promises of God, the one praying can be sure that he will have the things for which he prayed. The Lord has staked his reputation regarding his promises on the accuracy of his word and his commitment to fulfill it. In Psalm 138, and verse number two, the scripture says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. And this is not suggesting that we're to worship the word of God. No, we're to worship the Lord. But I'll tell you what, according to not only what this passage says, but also in the gospel according to John, in order for us to accurately even worship the Lord, he must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Those are important issues that need to be understood by every child of God. The Lord has staked his reputation and his commitment to fulfill his word. We're also told uh, in the writings of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, speaking of Abraham, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was a, uh, also able to perform. So important and vital. Visionary prayer involves prayer partners. You know, uh, corporate prayer. And uh, first part of verse 11, we'll read that again. When it says, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who do desire to fear your name. All right. The burden and the vision that Nehemiah experienced was also on the hearts of others. Nehemiah shared his burden and his vision with others with whom he could seek counsel and encouragement. For whatever reason, sometimes God's people are not real open with their brethren. And I understand 
the need for privacy in some respects, but at the same time, God does not want us to have our burden to ourselves, but wants us to incorporate the praying of others in our behalf, those who love us and want our best and seek to encourage us. So the idea is to share, and you would be surprised as to how God will not only use and bless the prayers of an individual servant, but also, and in particular, the prayers of a praying church. Wonderful thing and opportunity. When you've received a burden and vision from the Lord concerning his will for your life, get as many people as possible involved in praying for you and praying with you. Because sometimes even you don't really have a burden other than you're seeking for the direction of God for your life and what particular area of ministry that you should uh, labor. By all means, I encourage you to get with others and say, you know what, uh, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, I'm really kind of burdened about the Lord's direction in my life. Will you please, please pray for me right where you're at? doesn't have to be in the church building. In fact, you might have a meal with them or something like that. And in conversation, you say, you know what? I've been seeking the Lord about this decision. Will you pray with me about that? And you'll be surprised that immediately or near immediately, you'll get an answer. The Lord told his disciples that there is power in praying saints, praying together. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19. Jesus said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now I've heard this particular passage of scripture uh, interpreted in a number of ways, but let me just say this about that is uh, what Brother Chuck Warren used to tell his Greek students or in chapel every time he get up. He says, fellas, context, context, context. And the context here has to do with prayer and the prayer of saints praying together and the fact that such prayers God really pays attention to and it increases his power to fulfill them. Visionary prayer finally involves petitions, the latter part of verse 11. Once Nehemiah offered praise, confession, and thanksgiving to the Lord, he then was in a spiritual condition to offer petitions to the Lord for his needs. He acknowledged his willingness to be a part of the solution in allowing the Lord to use him and equip him for fulfilling the burden and vision God had given him. But he also recognized that God had to intervene in the heart of King Artaxerxes. That's quite a challenge. And so this is the, the issue of the petition. Nehemiah acknowledged that the king was the one who had earthly authority, but that God was the supreme sovereign ruler of the universe. So he appealed to the greater authority. 
Lord, move on the heart of the king. And you know what? If we were to move forward, God did indeed move on the heart of that king. And Nehemiah was allowed, in spite of his lofty position and responsibilities that that position carried, was then enabled. Not only did the king say yes to his request, but he basically indicated to provide every resource they could ever want to fulfill what uh, the people needed to. People of vision embrace providence. Position is no accident. The position that Nehemiah held in the court, it was no accident that he was there. Regardless of your own position in life, whether at church, at work, at school, at home, you need to know that it is no accident. God has placed you where he has for a purpose. You are where you are for his glory. Consider Queen Esther, elevated to Queen of Persia for a divine purpose. Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many. Going back to verse 13, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Nehemiah's position, like Esther's, he was in that position, and here's what happened. God moved on the heart of that king, no doubt, and that's a, a crucial element to this. But don't you think that there was a, a great tendency on the part of the king to watch the character of Nehemiah over years? He was entrusted with confidences, and uh, he sought for, uh, the king sought for his counsel, and so he was a trusted individual. And so his testimony uh, of his character being basically flawless, or at least uh, to a great degree, was used by the Lord as well in the answer to the prayer. And so let's say, for instance, there's someone who lives uh, a life that's no difference to that of the culture, and then all of a sudden you want to request something and it has to do with your desire of uh, eventually to uh, serve the Lord and maybe get a time off work for a particular event that, in which is involved in ministry. Well, if your testimony from the past is any indication, you may not get that opportunity. You may not get that response. I've seen it happen a lot of times with people. Also, prosperity is no accident. The resources that you have, that you've received, are really not yours by luck. I don't believe luck exists. Children of God, their possessions and their time really belong to the Lord and he requires that his stewards 
be found faithful. Okay? Once you have been blood purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, the Bible says very clearly that your life is no longer your own. It's a possession of God because of the blood purchase of Jesus. And so as such, we are to constantly be open to want to surrender our whole being to the Lord and let his ways and will be that of our own. All of which we serve the Lord as stewards are to be used for his glory. The examples of the wise men in Joseph, the husband of Mary, are very compelling about this as we find in the very first chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. Actually, the second chapter, verses 11 to 15. The Bible says in this passage of Scripture, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. The three uh, wise men, if you will, three kings, they brought treasure unto the Lord because the priority that they had was to give him gifts because he was the Lord God of heaven. They had obviously been taught through, say, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so on, about the ways of the Lord and had responded positively. And so the interesting thing about uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, is that immediately, as soon as he was told that he had to take them to safety in Egypt, he did exactly as the angel of the Lord told him. Power of influence is also no accident. Children of God are either an influence for the kingdom of God or against the kingdom of God. No matter where you are or what position you hold, you can be used as a powerful influence in the lives of others. Now, in interesting thing. I honestly believe that God's people, members of Landmark Baptist churches, ought to very well think in their, their minds and their hearts is that they could indeed run for public office. What a powerful influence that could be, you know, and uh, to influence others for the sake of the gospel in a public arena. And I think that's a good thing. You may very well be the living epistle in the lives of other people. In conclusion, God is still seeking those who will be people of vision. 
He still wants to use members of Christ's churches to bear the burden of seeing people who need the message of salvation. The Lord seeks to use people, families, and churches to make a difference in this culture, and that requires a spiritual vision to see it fulfilled. For reason that the Lord knows, he has allowed us to live and serve if we live until Wednesday in 2020. This current culture does have its unique challenges, no doubt about it. But they should not deter us from allowing the Lord to continue to share a vision for his purposes for, yes, even this culture. Folks, we need to be a people with 2020 vision. This church uh, corporately needs to pray about the direction the Lord wants to lead this church. Some of the internal things that exist, like the fact that uh, uh, having a burden for the young people and so many of them that have drifted away, that's got to be analyzed and that's got to be considered in the light of how God burdens us. And with that in mind, I would urge you, and I'll join you, to pray about not only that, but other areas of ministry where there seems to be a little lacking. And that is, Lord, give me a burden for not only what needs to happen, but like Isaiah, Lord, what can I do personally to affect change and, and the fulfilling of that particular burden? I also, of course, and most importantly, ask this very serious question. As we uh, approach 2020, just in the next few days, have you entered the new year, 2020, knowing without doubt that you're a child of God? I remember very distinctly when I was personally under conviction close to 50 years ago, in fact, it will be 50 years in August, 19 years old, almost 20, no direction and seemingly no hope. And through the course of time, God raised up people to minister to me and to let me understand that God loved me but also let me know that I, like everyone else, was a sinner by nature. Now, the true gospel message contains both of those facts. One, that universally we are sinners by nature and by practice after that. And secondly, that in spite of our sin, God loves us. And he d demonstrated it in a way that was absolutely incomparable and that is to send his only begotten son into this sin-sick world, live a sinless life, and then eventually, in behalf of sinners, go to the cross and take the burden of condemnation of those sinners on himself. What act of love is that? I mean, 
There are, you know, for good people, some might even consider dying for them. But for, the, uh, for, for sinners, God brought his only begotten son into this world, and he died for those sinners that stood condemned in order that they would have the opportunity to respond to that offer of love and grace. And then, as a result of that, respond to that message of salvation, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts as Savior, so that they could indeed have blood washing that he performed upon them, in behalf of them, I should say, and also that uh, they would be given brand new eternal life that Jesus even said would never cease. That's what 2020 can mean for those who are still lost and undone in their sin. And so I can't think of a better way to usher in the new year of 2020 if you're a lost individual to say, you know what? I know I need Jesus. And this new year might be the very thing that stirs me to the point of decision. Could have been earlier, but for now, since we're that close to 2020, I can't think of a better way to start the year than uh, for a lost person to really understand their need for a savior and call upon the name of the Lord. And you know what the Bible promises about that? For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. That's a promise that is mentioned in the scriptures and God will fulfill that promise. If you call out to him today, he will save you. Simple as that. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity you granted us to assemble together as uh, your people and help us, Lord, to see the way things are in our current culture with the way that Nehemiah saw his culture. There was a need. Uh, he was burdened. And before he ever responded, he got his heart right. He prayed for the sins of the nation. And then, of course, he also prayed in petition that the king would respond in kind. And thank you, Lord, that the account in the rest of Nehemiah indicates that he did, and that the people were able to fulfill that task in such a short period of time. We also pray, dear God, that uh, in our own our current situation, is that you will respond to the pleas of your people here in Armona with regard to the call of the pastor. And I pray that they are earnestly praying that you will reveal who you have in mind to lead this flock. And Lord, if there's some things going on in the midst of the congregation, among the members that need to be confessed before you, Lord, we pray your spirit will so move upon their hearts. But also, we would pray like Nehemiah did, help us, Lord, individually to get ourselves right with you and to confess our sins in order that you will hear our petitions and our pleas. For those, Lord, who still have not responded to the gospel and re uh, received the Lord Jesus in a personal and vital way, I pray that this will be the day and the hour in which that will transpire. 
For all of these things we ask in the name of your blessed Son. Amen. As we prepare for invitation, I'd also indicate to the members of the body here is we can't be visionless. We have to have a vision, not only for the future, but for the present, is that God has still got this New Testament church in this area, in this community, seeking to potentially minister to this community and the surrounding cities because there's still lost people out there who need the gospel. And who's going to present the gospel? Someone else? No. The members of the Lord's Assembly have that responsibility. And responding to the vision is the very first step to complete that. And we pray that the Lord will break hearts, even this morning, with respect to that. As we stand and as we sing,